Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to get some brilliant insight on how to land your next job. Why is this episode so special? Well, we have a wealth of information coming your way from an all-star guest. Today, I brought on Andrew Seaman, Senior Editor for Job Search and Careers at LinkedIn News. Yes, Andrew works for LinkedIn, where he brings communities together with the information they need to succeed in their careers. Andrew runs the Get Hired newsletter with over 477,000 subscribers containing a wealth of valuable resources. Andrew has spoken with more people than you can imagine, which is one reason why he is going to be very great for the show today. In Andrew's past history as a journalist, he's commented on an overwhelming number of articles on publications such as the New York Times, BuzzFeed, and the Washington Post. He has his master's degree from Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism, where he sits on their alumni board. So as you can see, Andrew is just going to be amazing, and this episode is really going to help you out with the perspective of someone who's seen it all in the job search world. So let's launch right into it with our episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. All right, Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm well, how are you? It is awesome to have you on the show and thought it would be great to hear a little bit about what you do and why you love helping job seekers. Definitely. So, you know, when I first started out wanting to be a journalist, a lot of it had to do with giving power to people because when you're a journalist, what you do is you tell people about the world around them. You tell them what they need to know about their daily lives. You can give them information so they go into the voting booths, pick who they want to be in office. You can give them information so they can make choices, you know, about what health supplements are right for them, what health supplements are dangerous, things like that. And throughout my career, I've always sort of viewed journalism like that. And when I got to LinkedIn, I thought it was a really great opportunity to do the same thing for job seekers. And when you're a journalist, you have friends and family who always ask you, hey, can you look over my resume? Can you look over your cover letter? And, you know, this is an extension of that. So I get to tell people about what's going on in the world around them, about the job market, about the job search, about careers. And it really gives them power to, you know, fulfill what LinkedIn hopes to do, which is give people, you know, the power to grow in their careers and become successful. I love that. And I just, this whole thing, I promise, is not a pitch for LinkedIn. That's not why we're doing this. But I love LinkedIn. It's always been a part of my recommendations for job seekers in general. But for me, it was really a pleasure to see you do what you're doing for the job seeker community, specifically in terms of putting out content for job seekers to help them move forward. My big idea was to get you to give some of your key insights on the things that you've learned, because I know it's a heck of a lot of things. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing that's nice about my job is that when the LinkedIn news team, because what a lot of people don't know is that LinkedIn employs about 75 plus journalists around the world. They're all giving different news and information yeah. about what's happening in their regions, in their local languages. And when they were setting that up seven to eight years ago, the way they brokered it was that we would live outside of sort of the marketing bubble of the company. So the LinkedIn <laughs> journalists, the LinkedIn editors were actually separate from all of that. So a lot of times yeah. when people mention LinkedIn or things like that, that's not actually part of my job. I don't have to sell LinkedIn, which is it's nice. So I, <laughs> I'm just trying to give people sort of job search advice. And I think that's one of the most interesting thing about me is when I sort of get to walk the halls and or when I used to get to walk the halls at work, yeah. I get to live outside that bubble. So I don't have yeah. to pitch LinkedIn, which is nice. 
That's always nice. And so we had a really good conversation before this episode about your key three insights. And I love the way you mapped it out. But let's give some job seekers some advice that they can take away today about how they can improve their job search. But let's hit off what's key insight number one for you. So the first key insight, and I have to credit Sarah Johnston for bringing this up to me probably about a year ago, which is job search groups. And job search groups are what it sounds like, a bunch of people who are searching for jobs at the same time. And I think they've taken on a new meaning in the pandemic because from my understanding, digital job search groups were always difficult to manage. They were very successful in person, but digital ones were a little bit difficult. And I think job search groups now are just really useful because it could be a really lonely time, especially if you're a job seeker, you don't have that camaraderie. And even if you are employed, it can be a lonely time because you're not in an office, you're sort of just stuck at home in in many ways. So a job search group or, or just even having a few people that you can rely on or connect with from time to time, just it comes with a world of benefits. You know, there's the book called Team Up that was written many years ago. I think there's a piece of research in there that talks about people who search in groups find work about 20% faster. Obviously, it's through the structure of program. You know, when people connect, when they have that person to lean on, I think they're just invaluable resources. Yeah, it's like I'm recalling an earlier episode we did with a she was a psychologist and also just a really amazing individual. But she talked about how every job seeker needs to have that community support in order to move forward, because, you know, speaking with a lot of job seekers and and going through some struggles myself, I know how hard it can be when you are trying to make that next leap in your career. And if you feel alone, it just makes that so much worse. So what you're saying is these job search groups online or not are good ways to get plugged in. Definitely. And, you know, I think there are people who run groups sort of all around the country. And I think sometimes they're called like LinkedIn local in some cases. But there are, you know, there's a lot of options. And if you don't have that option, you could always start your own. You know, I, I do a show on Fridays called Get Hired Live. And one of the nice things that I get afterward are from people from who have connected in the comment section and then they end up having a Zoom with each other or, you know, some sort of video call and they end up job searching together, at least sharing tips with each other. So at the start of the show, I always tell people, you know, network in the comments and then connect with each other. And it's really heartening to know that they do that. And hopefully they're finding success together or at least support. Absolutely. Totally makes sense. How do you recommend people find the right group for them? Like, do you think it makes sense to go industry specific in some cases? Or is it just anyone who really can help out? I think it's anyone who can help out. But I think it also depends on the person. So one thing that I've learned over time about job searching is that it's all about individuality when it comes to what you need. So Mm -hmm. one size definitely does not fit all. So if you are a person who maybe knows the basics of job searching or you feel like you have a pretty firm grasp on it, then maybe industry specific is right for you because then you can find people who know about the specifics or more nuances. But if you're new to job searching, and I think that's one of the things about the pandemic that we're seeing that we haven't seen before is that people who have not been laid off or not had vulnerable positions before are being laid off. So they're finding themselves in a job search for the first time in a very long time. And, you know, maybe they need the support of sort of a general group who can talk to them through their resume, talk through their cover letters, talk through their strategy or just trade notes. And then, you know, if people just need maybe that person to bounce ideas off of or just need that camaraderie, then a general group would be great, too. So I think it's about just knowing what you need and then finding that. And then if you can't find it, create it. 
And you are going to get to meet a few of our own from our very own local job seeker community here in Austin. We've had this job seeker community for the last few years or so. And I'm always just amazed, first of all, just the connections that I've been able to make with these folks and just being able to follow up with them on their job search. And if it's anything they get, I mean, my resume advice, hopefully helpful for them. But I think just being a part of the group and getting the encouragement and confidence does go a long way. So thank you for bringing that up. That's a really good insight. And I think, and I know we'll talk more about this later, is the networking aspect can't be oversold because, you know, when you, you always have a built-in network, you have your family, you have your friends, but then when you join a job search group, your network expands exponentially because you now gain access most likely to those people's friends, family, and acquaintances. So, you know, you could say, hey, I'd really like to work at Apple. And a person could say, you know, I know someone who works in logistics there or something like that. And that's how that usually happens when you make those connections. So, you know, it's about basically unlocking a giant network just automatically. And so that's actually a really good segue into your second key insight here, which is it's the word everyone hates to hear, but the word that is so true, it's networking. And I think just based on our conversation about how people really need to rework their idea of networking, but what do you think are people's preconceived notions versus how their perspective needs to change for for what networking is? And I think we talk about this, and I've written it before, is that people view networking as you know, conference room in like a Hilton garden in or something like that. That's just a sea of people who are wearing name tags and carrying business cards. And that's a nightmare for me. And I think it's a nightmare for a lot of people. But one of the things about the pandemic is that it's forcing everyone to rethink networking because that's not possible. So I think we're seeing a lot of things in the career and job space reinvent themselves because, you know, the restrictions put on the pandemic. So good thing is that if you don't like that sort of networking setting, and there are some people who thrive in it, I know they're out there, I've seen them. And I remember their names, because they are the ones who sort of come up to you at those events. You know, for a lot of people out there, this is a chance to have those zoom calls or reach out to someone and say, Hey, you know what, can we reconnect? And then when you're on those calls, they could say, Hey, you know what, I know someone who works at this place, or I know someone who used to work there, would you like to talk with them? You know, it's almost like unlocking doors in a game. So, you know, you always have to go through that level and then to get to the next level. So that's sort of what it is. And, you know, you could reinvent it yourself. You could have a little Zoom party or something like that. I've been on a few of those and invited and they're quite nice. And it's amazing who pops up at them. I think that's something that people should remember is that networking is sort of being reinvented. The fundamentals aren't, I think so. but the practices. Yeah, I think that's one thing that often trips people up is because they just when the pandemic hit and all this kind of stuff, people were really wondering what to do, I think, during this time, because I mean, it's not like I oftentimes encourage people to go to career fairs anyway. I think there are good career fairs out there, but people weren't exactly sure what to do to replace things like a career fair or like the opportunity to go out and actually shake hands with people. So there are tons of things out there virtually that people can do. There are virtual career fairs and just ways to get plugged in and connect with people and meet new people. It's completely possible. That's a really good point. And thanks for giving that positive inspiration for people. I think people need to hear that. Of course. And yeah, and I think, you know, I'm someone who needs to work on networking myself. So, you know, at the start of the week, I'll say, I'm going to reconnect with this person. I'm going to reconnect with that person. 
and I make it part of my schedule. So I try and like pencil it in basically, because if I don't do that, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So it's something that everyone sort of needs to work on. And it's even if it comes naturally to people that they want to talk to each other, it's easy, especially now when you don't have that freedom that you just let it slip by. It's something where everyone, they need to work on it. And it's there are ways to integrate it into your life. And a lot of it is just sort of making that commitment to say, I'm going to do this this week and then check it off at the end of the week. I'm reading the comments smiling right now because we had someone, I'll highlight it here. It says, Merrick says, reframe network as conscious connecting, treat it like meeting people with common goals. Instead of needing to get something out of a person, that is so true. How many times do we feel? I mean, this is, I'll be honest with you. This was me eight years ago, young college Chris, just saying like, (laughs) I had to show up to these networking events. I had to get a job. I had to get an interview. And it was not only this pressure I put on myself, but it was this pressure I put on other people. And they could probably feel that when they were talking to me. So I think people need to take that pressure off themselves and not be so, you know, short term minded when taking that. And I think, you know, one of the stumbling blocks I always ran into is because I that networking was pretty formulaic where you go to somewhere, you give them a business card. Nice to meet you. Set something up later. And it just didn't seem like a genuine connection. So hearing people talk about networking, learning about it. I've been to a bunch of different seminars about, you know, how to network properly and learning how to do it properly is fantastic because you realize that. The people who taught you how to do it when you were in high school or college didn't really know what they were talking about. And it's not transactional. It's just about build, building a relationship. And that sort of tears down those walls. And yeah. also, it just doesn't feel genuine. And I can be a pretty blunt person. You know, I don't like unnecessarily dressing up in suits when I don't have to. I think it's preposterous. I don't like doing just things that seem ridiculous and going up to someone saying, you know, can I have your business card? I'd love to reconnect later. I don't necessarily want to reconnect with them later. So, right, I, right. you know, that needs to be genuine. It needs to be a relationship that you build over time. So, you know, once I learned to do it properly, it just became much easier. But even then, like I said, I have to work on it. I have to set goals. Can I ask you about the concept of informational interviews? Because when you talk about doing things naturally, I think, you know, for me personally, I think informational interviews are one of the most effective ways to quote unquote network. But first of all, let's define for people listening right now, what is an informational interview? Yeah, so an information interview is just that you're looking for information out of a person. So it might be about a specific company, it might be an industry, but you're not asking for a job, you're not interviewing for a position. It's specifically about you growing and learning more about something. And you know, it may lead to something else later on, like a job or, you know, a job interview. But really, you're not going in there with expectations that you're going to get a referral or anything like that. Okay, I love that. And so you're saying that that is the key is like, it's a it's a source for information. But my mentality is that I'm not it's I'm not going to ask for a job at the end of it. Correct? Yeah, I don't think, you know, especially if it's someone that you're just meeting, don't Don't ever ask for a job at the end of it because it's going to erase all the goodwill that you just had. You know, as someone who's been on the other side of those, you might have a good rapport with the person. And then at the end of the interview, you all of a sudden get told, you know, basically by this person, I'm using you. Even if, you know, they're not going to tell you that, but that is the implication when they say, by the way, do you have a job and can you refer me for this one? Okay. Um, It's almost like, you know, imagine telling someone all about a company or about an industry And then at the end of it, they say, I have this job in mind. I want to work here. You know nothing really about me because I've been asking all these questions about the company. 
And so many people, they refer to it as going for the jugular. And I think that's what it is. It just doesn't feel like a genuine interaction. Yeah. And I think Dory Clark, who's who's fantastic, she has a rule, I believe, I hope I'm not misremembering this, is that she doesn't ask anyone for anything for a year after they, you know, they met each other. So yeah. if they meet, they won't, she won't ask anything for basically a year. You know, that shows how long it can take to build those relationships. It's so funny because like just this morning I was listening to a podcast. I think it was like Tim Ferriss or someone who said he was talking about his strategy about how he got people to connect with these big time, you know, CEO of Google and like these big time founders. And he recommended going, he didn't call it an informational interview, but the way he laid it out very much was that of like an interview, you know, asking for advice, things like that. But he said the same thing that you said, which is don't ask for something within like the he even recommended within like the first four reach outs or so. But I guess it depends on the person and things like that. And, you know, coming from the world of journalism, we build sources over time. So when I was in a position where I was covering a beat that was more newsy, you know, it takes time to build those relationships up. They're not just going to call you and spill their secrets. So journalism oddly prepares you to sort of make and build relationships over time. And, you know, because I'm back to some specific stories that I can't really go into detail about, but there's actually one where I think it was the Boston Marathon bomber when they were trying to capture him. Everyone was reporting, oh, they took him here, they took him there. And at that time, I was a medical reporter. So I was able, over the years, I had built up a relationship with people in Boston because that's where a bunch of hospitals were. And I was a health reporter. So I was able to call someone and be like, where is he? And I was able to get confirmation of his location. But that only came after like a year and a half of talking to that person, meeting them for coffee. A little more long term. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it it took time. Right. Absolutely. I'm going to ask your advice here on how to actually set up the initial reach out question here. It's funny. I had someone mention, said, I hate the term information interview ever for information (laughs) meeting. So I can imagine some people being like, hey, can we set up an informational interview or something like that? I personally wouldn't recommend something like that. So I just wanted to see if you had any key insights for that initial message to send people. Yeah, I think. And this, again, comes sort of from my training as a journalist is be specific and, you know, introduce yourself to the person and just say, listen, I'm trying to, you know, plot a career path and I might be interested in, you know, going into either this industry or going into this this specific field. And I would like to learn more about what you do, what you do at this company, and also include some specific questions. And the reason that you ask specific questions is it shows that you're not just sort of aimlessly wandering around trying to get anyone to talk to you. You know, you're basically showing you have skin in the game, that you've thought this through, that you're a very intelligent person who has, you know, done some initial research. So offer some specifics, because if you do that, It'll just show them that you're serious. You're not going to waste their time. But if you just say, hey, can you just tell me, you know, everything, you know, it's going to make them probably respond to your message, first of all. And then hopefully it'll show them that you're serious and that they'll respond. So that's my biggest suggestion is be specific, because even, you know, when I was reporting for different beats, I would always start with like a detailed question sometimes that was pretty specific just to show them that I wasn't really messing around and that I wasn't just some, you know, person aimlessly trying to get an interview with them. So I think being specific in your questions is important. And obviously during the interview, too, or during the meeting. (laughs) Thank you for that. That's a really good way of getting people thinking about that initial message. And if I am, you know, looking to reconnect with that person later on, you know, should I just let it come organically? Or 
I guess, should I make any sort of conscious effort to stay in touch after that first interaction? I think always be conscious about trying to include them or like touch base with them. I have people that, you know, I'll send them random notes from time to time. You know, sometimes I'll even send them a letter. I have a a typewriter that needs to an old, old typewriter that needs to be used periodically. So, you know, it's a good excuse to try and use it, try and get the gears working in it. I think being conscious about engaging them. But again, it has to be genuine. You know, you can't just bug them and say, hi, it's been six months, I'll check in in another six months. So keep track of them. You know, in in journalism, like with my journalism friends, it's kind of easy because I read a lot of their work that they do. So I get to say, hey, I saw that interview you did with X, Y, and Z. And I do read their stuff. So it's able to be genuine. So I think those are the opportunities to reconnect. So maybe you see that they did something really fantastic, that they made some waves, maybe they won an award. You send a congratulations and just say, hey, we haven't caught up. Maybe, you know, when the publicity or something dies down after two weeks, like let's have a call or a chat. And it doesn't have to be over Zoom. It could be on the phone. I'm a big fan of phone calls now because I'm sort of getting Zoom fatigue. (laughs) We all are. So Andrew, and for everyone really here, just want to reemphasize that informational interviews, we believe are a very good way to network. And there's an old adage, I don't know who said it first, but like if you ask for a job, you get advice. And if you ask for advice, you just may get a job. So I believe wholeheartedly in informational interviews. I've hired people off of informational interviews, so I know the power of them. You just got to have the right approach and it's possible to get that success. Definitely. And I think another thing people should keep in mind is a lot of people don't ask for these meetings. So when people do, it sticks out. Absolutely. So Andrew, let's go into your third key piece of advice here. And I want to hear about you talking about recruiters here. I know that's a big piece of the puzzle, but What is thing number three? Yeah, so this is actually something that I get a lot of flack with people from is because I know recruiting is a difficult job. I know talent acquisition and even just being a hiring manager can be really difficult. So I always suggest that job seekers, they think like a recruiter and they have some empathy for the process that they have to go through. I know that's not easy when you're a job seeker because you sort of feel like you're swimming upstream and against the current. But I think it helps people with their job search. And then on top of that, you know, it helps you understand what the person on the other side of the application is going through. So, you know, I think that's just always something that's key is to have a mindset of like what's happening on the other side. Who's the person on the other side? Even if you don't know their name or really anything about them, just having that image of the person on the other side is really key. And a big complaint that I get often from job seekers, and this doesn't speak to recruiters or anything, but it's these, they are receiving a lot of applications. And I know a lot of them are getting, we use the word weeded out, but I don't know if that technically describes what it is correctly, but filtered and sorted in such a way to where they can't get noticed through these applicant tracking systems. Do you have any key insight on how recruiters are typically processing these types of applications and what that might imply for someone who is applying for a job? So I think it really depends. When I uh, went to LinkedIn's Talent Connect last year, I was able to sort of wander around and talk to a lot of recruiters. And that helped me understand a lot of what they're doing day to day. And that's why in a lot of what I write and what I do, I always really try and drive home what recruiters have to go through on the other side. Because I think it helps job seekers just to understand what that is and why things are done that way. And I'm not saying everything's the way it works, but recruiters, they have a lot on their plate. So a recruiter has a bunch of positions sometimes that they have to hire for. And especially now, 
the amount of applications they're receiving is probably just insurmountable. Like they have to be in control of the process, but they have to find some way to do it and do it efficiently. You know, when you talk to recruiters, they will say, listen, we might have an applicant tracking system, but we don't necessarily have all the features or the functions because the company won't pay for it. So in some cases, recruiters might just have an Excel spreadsheet that they turn to. They may have files. But what's interesting is about the recruiters I talk to, they do love what they do. They love the idea of being able to help people get into a career, get into their company. And I think a lot of them really are driven by the idea of bringing talent into their organization. So, you know, they do have passion for it, but sometimes there's just so much work. So they do have to find ways to automate it. There might be applicant tracking systems, but a lot of the people that I talk to, they do say, hey, listen, I do at least scan all the resumes that come in. I do do X, Y, and Z. Right. You know, the processes vary, but ultimately there is a human on the other side, whether or not they're reading your resume completely. And then obviously there are sometimes when people apply, they get an automatic rejection. That's probably an applicant tracking system, especially if you do it on like Saturday night at 11 p.m. There's probably not a recruiter or an HR person on the other side reading it. Most often trying to do a good job. With that being said, what do I do if I do receive that auto rejection? And maybe I'm getting that over and over again. Is there a point to where I look at the way I'm applying and say, maybe there's a way I can switch how I'm sending out these applications? Yeah, I think so. And I think a lot of times when you get auto rejected, and one of the things that I do from time to time is that I will try, I won't apply to jobs, but I will try and go through like different hiring sites and I'll see how people are using them, how they're forced to use them. And I think what happens with a lot of auto rejections is that there's usually questions that you have to answer. So you'll find this, I think, especially with frontline jobs like retail jobs or really big companies that have a ton of people because it'll ask you usually a series of questions before you can even upload your resume or put into a cover letter. And usually that's when you'll get that auto rejection. Right. And I think usually you have to say like, okay, am I answering something incorrectly? Am I not clicking the right button? I think that's usually the first step. And then obviously the second step is networking is so important. So if you can get around doing that, that can also be helpful. Usually do have to apply formally, even if you're being recruited. They'll say, hey, we need your resume. We need you to submit it through this system or that system. So you probably will eventually have to upload your resume somewhere. But making that initial contact or saying, hey, listen, I want to do this strategically and go after target companies, or I want this job, or I want a job that doesn't necessarily exist. Having that strategy, I think, is usually the best formula from what I, you know, talking to all these experts over time, I don't think there's anyone who said, you don't need a strategy. And I I think you do need a strategy. You you need to, to be thoughtful about it. And you need the resume to match your efforts. Well, you know, there's my bias coming from the owner of a resume service there. But even if you are taking the route of, you know, informational interviews, or, you know, skirting the system, so to speak, which is not by solely relying on applicant tracking systems to apply through, you do need a strong resume because eventually someone is going to need to look at it to make a good hiring choice. But I kind of want to flip the script for half a second. I'm the resume guy, but I want to see if you've had any key insights and takeaways from all these people you've spoken to about resumes. What's the number one forgotten piece of resume advice? I think the summary at the top. So I think when I was in high school, everyone told me that I needed an objective at the top. And when I was in high school, even then, I was like, that is the weirdest, most piece of information I've ever heard. 
My objective is to get a job. If I'm sending a resume somewhere, they know why I'm sending to it. To get a job and, and get yeah, paid money. But when you have the summary, you know, I think that is something that is really interesting. And I, I'm not going to word it correctly, but Kamara Toffolo, who's actually a career expert in Canada, I think she's the one who told me this, but she basically said you get to capture them right at the start of the resume and you get to like shake up their preconceived notion and basically set the tone. And I thought was I that was the that. most wonderful sort of thing that I've heard because it's so true. You get a resume and you're expecting that you're just going to be like, okay, job, 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 maybe skills or credentials, education, and then you're out. But, you know, the summary can really say, okay, here's, I'm going to take you on a journey and this is a story I'm going to tell. And, you know, in journalism, we have this thing called the nut graph. And the nut graph is literally the paragraph that says, okay, this is why I'm telling you this, and this is what you're about to read, or, you know, this is what I'm going to tell you. And when you feel like you're reading a story, especially a long one, and it feels aimless, it's usually because it doesn't have that paragraph. Sure. And I think the summary on a resume does that. So you get to basically set that tone. You get to say, I'm going to take you on a journey, and this is what you're going to learn. So I think that's probably the best piece of advice and probably the best way I've heard it put. Yeah, I think especially for people who are career changers, which is Typically, that's where I have a lot of people who are struggling is because they're going from being like a a sales engineer to maybe an actual software developers or something like that. And a lot of the times they do have a hard time articulating with just their professional experiences that they're qualified for these roles. And so let's say this person who was a sales engineer has been taking software development courses Let's say they've had these awesome projects under their belt that they can hyperlink to and things like that. I just think the summary is a really eloquent way of highlighting what you want to highlight at the very top of the resume, which is what we know to be one of the most important parts because people spend most of their time there. Really good insight. And I'm glad that person, what was their name again? Kamara Toffolo. Kamara Toffolo. Hopefully I didn't just butcher that just now, but we'll definitely follow them for future advice there and hopefully connecting later on. Yeah. And I think also something that I always add, because I've come across this too, is that flashy design does not make up for a terrible resume or cover letter. In past lives, when I've had to review resumes as like a hiring committee person, or or I was helping out with the hiring process, um, I've come across some resumes that they just had odd things on them. Like the one person put a giant picture of themselves on the cover letter, like the cover letter was maybe less than 100 words, and there was a big picture of them. And, you know, aside from obviously worrisome legal issues, that actually used to be very common in Europe, it not is. like a small picture on the top. I think it's actually falling out of favor. It's not common in Europe or as common as it used to be because of that issue and worry about discrimination. But I remember this person, it was like a headshot, like an actor headshot. And, you know, we weren't hiring actors or anything like that. And I just... I remember it baffled me and the cover letter text was so small. And then I remember a resume that, you know, it looked great. But then when I started looking at the designs, they had charts on the resume. There was like a pie chart. There was a bar graph. And I started looking at it. I'm like, these don't make sense. And like I was a medical reporter at the time. And you need to have some good statistical skills to be a medical reporter, even though I didn't come into the job with it. I had to learn quickly. And I was looking at the bar graph. I'm like, none of these numbers make sense. And like the pie chart didn't add up. It was the weirdest thing. And I'm like, why would you send this to someone, especially if you're going to be like reporting on numbers and, you know, academic studies. And so I I always tell people, I'm like, worry about the formatting later and worry about the content and what you're going to tell them and then make it pretty and then put it in the nice format. 
Well, there are tons of resources for those of you job seekers out there who want to have a nice clean design and good content. So we're more than happy to point you in the right direction there, but I just can't agree enough. You wanna make sure that the content as well as the phrasing and the design is all synced in. And I tend to be a little bit more traditional when it comes to resume design, but that's because I just, that's my style. And I know typically it's the safer choices end up working, at least for me. Andrew, you've been a great guest so far, but just wanted to hear if you had any last final parting words of advice for career warriors. I think the one thing that I don't think gets said enough, and maybe because people disagree with me, but I think it's important to do what's right for you. There's a million different paths to where you want to go, and not all of them are going to be right for you. And the people always laugh when I bring it up. Kim Kardashian, if I read correctly, wants to be a lawyer, and she doesn't want to go to law school, so she's doing something like that's basically an apprenticeship and is allowed in several states. And it's something that I think it might be how Abraham Lincoln became a lawyer or something like that. But that is, it's an example of non-traditional path to right. an end. So even though obviously that brings up a number of issues, I think it's a good example that's sort of current about there's a lot of different ways to get where you want to be. So if there's something that it just doesn't feel right for you, it's not genuine, you don't have to take that path. Because in my life, like I said, I can be blunt. I don't like doing things that seem preposterous to me. If it makes someone sense for someone else, I'm respectful of that. But, you know, if I am going to a dinner or something like that and it's everyone's just putting on a suit for no reason, you know, that's my example of being, why are we doing this? We are all uncomfortable and don't want to be here. Just take the path that makes the most sense for you. Don't stress yourself out that you're not taking the path that someone else did. You could draw inspiration from it right. and say, oh, that's one way to get there. But I could get there by going this other route that's more true to myself. So I think, you know, just be genuine and take the path that it makes most sense for you. Fantastic advice. Can't thank you enough, Andrew, for coming on the show and doing this. And I wanted to hear if what's the number one way people can keep in touch with you and what you're up to doing next. Everyone can follow me on LinkedIn, obviously. You know, just search for Andrew Seaman. Mm. Andrew, I might have my middle initial in there, M. But find me, follow me, you can follow Get Hired. And you can join me on my live conversations every Friday. If you're trying to get in touch with me, you can send me an in-mail. My in-mail inbox is sometimes a little bit of a mess. But if you tag <laughs> me somewhere or you have a question, that sometimes gets through. And there's also an email, gethired at linkedin.com. That is sometimes easier to get me. Send a few messages to me and, and bear with me and I'll, I'll try to get back to you as quickly as possible. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. You're very gracious to give out the recommendation for people to get in touch with you that way. So thanks for just having a service heart and being there to help out our job seeker community. Of course. Thanks for having me. Perfect. So that concludes today's LinkedIn live stream slash career warrior podcast episode. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We want to make these episodes as value packed as possible. So leave us a comment or shoot me a message yourself about what I can do to get you the content that you deserve, the best possible content. I will make sure to link Andrew's LinkedIn in the description of this podcast. If you are listening to the podcast or below, I want to make sure you're safe, whether you're jogging or driving, just make sure you pull over and check out those links afterwards. But can't thank you all enough. Thanks so much for tuning in. And hopefully we'll see a lot more of these in the future. Take care.